the one thing you have is your passion. Hello, welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast. This is your place to hear from a new entrepreneur every single Wednesday morning who's turning wild ideas into wild growth. I'm your host, Max Brandstetter, founder and podcast producer at Max Podcasting, and you can reach me at max at maxpodcasting.com to bring your podcast to life and use it as a business building tool. This is episode number 117, and today's guest is Julia McCoy. She truly has one of the most inspiring stories you will ever hear about. She grew up in some incredibly dark times, uh, literally was was born into a cult, grew up just unbelievable circumstances, and came out of that environment, turned it into a flourishing life with multiple successful businesses, including Express Writers and The Content Hacker, employees over 90 people around the world. As you might imagine, there are some details, especially in the earlier part of this episode, that are a bit more dark and a bit more serious in nature. The tune changes quite a bit as we get more into Julia's career. So get ready for Julia and enjoy the show. Alrighty, we are here with Julia McCoy, the incredible entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, founder of Express Writers, the content hacker, author of multiple amazing books in a wide range of categories. Julia, thanks for joining. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you so much for that intro. I need to record that and listen to it like every morning. <laughs> that was so motivational. <laughs> of course. I charge like $1 billion per recording for that. So I'm sure let, let's do it. <laughs> but this is really exciting. Blown away by all that you've done, the businesses that you've built and your background. Before we get into kind of your entrepreneurial start there, you have a an incredibly dark, let's say challenging, dark past uh, experience growing up that you went through that, you know, if we would have asked you this question a few years ago, not sure how much you would have been open about talking about it. But since your book, Woman Rising launched, you've come forward and, and been more open about it. Do you mind uh, shedding a little light on what you went through and kind of how it's contributed to who you are today? Yes, yes, absolutely. All the adjectives you used are 100% correct, you know, dark, challenging. I grew up, I had the misfortune, you know, it definitely shaped some good work ethic. And um, some of the traits I have today were definitely shaped from going through so much pain, but it's not a good thing to be born into a cult. So I was the daughter of the founder, um, the founder's son of this massive fundamentalist cult that started in North Carolina. And I was born into the founder's third son. It was his branch in Pennsylvania. So I was born into that, grew up in it. And there were so many elements of physical abuse, emotional abuse. And even whenever I started making money, there was financial abuse. So all of that, just walking through that every day, growing up every day of your life, like there were moments when I thought it would be better off if I was dead, not even here, living. And I can't imagine that today because nine years later, I have this amazing business. You know, we employ over 90 people, some of them, that's their full-time jobs. 
And just the value that we give through my books, my training, that business that I run, I couldn't imagine not being here. So it's really kind of cool to look back and see that pathway. And the more I've gotten to listen to and read the stories of other top entrepreneurs, I learned like Tony Robbins dropped out of school. I think it was at 15. He had to care for his siblings. And there's so many stories like that. And I can relate to the drive that all these amazing people have, because whenever you grow up in an, an environment like that, the one thing you have is your passion. And so for me, writing was my outlet and it was my lifeline in that cult, in that environment. It got me through every day. I would write, write, write all the time. So good and bad, lots of bad, right? Cause you have to grow up in that, but then my talent was kind of shaped from that environment. Yeah. And it's, I, I can't even imagine what you went through on a daily basis. It's so inspiring to see who you've become, what you've built and the amazing things you've done. If someone didn't know you, they would never guess that there was any element of a background like that. At what point growing up did you start to see red flags of, wait a second, maybe what I'm experiencing growing up is not normal. Something's not quite right here. Yes. Um, that's a really good question. Well, so I grew up, I had an older sister and then I had two little siblings and we never like spoke about the methods that dad used. Like my sister and I, we never just spoke about it. We never questioned it because there was so much fear. We lived in fear every day. If we stepped one toe out of line, there was that heavy physical abuse element. So we were really quiet about our thoughts. We never shared. But then as I was growing up, I always had the thought, you know, this isn't right. And that was never fully like squashed. And I may have been the only child in that household out of us four where I was really questioning. And no matter what was happening, like you couldn't squash that in me. I was like, I have a sense of justice. I know this is not right, but I can't say anything. And then at 21, um, my sister and I got a letter for our birthdays and that was our birthday gift. And in this letter, our dad told us like, you are a disgrace. You're not living up to the full measure of what I want. I'm really disappointed in you. You shouldn't have been born. And then I was like, okay, that's a really big red flag. <laughs> like we shouldn't be hearing this at 21 years old. So that is the year I escaped. And we just, we left in the middle of the night and got out and it was the best decision. It was the hardest decision and the best decision. Sounds like it. It sounds like it was a fantastic decision. I can't even imagine had you not made that midnight right. escape, you know, what life would be like today. Oh, I would have been a spinster and probably a slave to whatever chores he wanted me to do for his church. Cause that was already like how my life was shaping up to be like, as I was, I started my business while I was in my dad's cult because it was such a lifeline. So it was my passion. And all of it was just natural progression. Like, I'm going to learn how to write. I'm going to see how I can monetize that. Okay, now I have all this work. I'm going to start a business. But then I would get pulled away to do all the church work, to babysit my siblings. You know, in a matter of a day, there was like 50 interruptions. <clears throat> so had I stayed, there's no way my business would have survived. Just no way. And I, you know, wouldn't even have had a normal life. It's just crazy to hear about how much was involved in... I get, it sounds funny, but literally like plotting your escape, like figuring out, okay, it makes you think of like, you know, Shawshank escaping from prison, like that sort of thing. <laughs> it's like, 
pretty much. How much time did you put into this? All right, I'm going to get away. I'm going to change my life. It was, and I can kind of track this through my life. It was an instantaneous decision where it was just like a gut instinct. And I knew I had to act on it. And as soon as I told my sister and I just went in a room one night and I was like, you know, we should escape. (laughs) And she's two years older than me. And so she's like, yeah, I think we should. And then she held me to that. There were a couple of times where I was like, the guilt because you're so brainwashed and you think you owe them growing up that like those are your parents, right? That's all, you know. So I had a couple moments where I was like, I can't do this. I'm going to break their hearts on their child. I have to fulfill the, you know, weird calling of being his child in the cult. So my sister was like, no, we have to get out. And she really held my feet to the fire. And I just planned the whole thing. I had been able to buy a car with cash because of my business. So we used that car and there was one day we just decided to pack up and then right under their noses, we put all of our belongings in my car. And at one point mom like stopped me in the hallway, interrupted me. She's like, are you moving out? And I was like, Oh no, you know, they found me out. And she like just started laughing. She's like, Oh, I know you're not. Ha ha ha. Aren't you donating to Goodwill? And I was like, yeah, I'm donating to Goodwill. That's why we're packing the car with all of our belongings. So she's like, okay, cool. And, and you know, we were out like in two days. That was two days later, we left around midnight. But yeah, that was like, you know, my heart stopped when she said that. Cause I thought for sure. uh Oh, and I, we didn't know what they were capable of because as I studied cult leaders since leaving, they absolutely could have been capable of like locking the doors, you know, slashing my tires, locking the garage. So as much as I hated to do it back then secretly, and I wanted to tell them like, I'm leaving, this is why I don't want to grow up in this environment. I'm really glad we did it like that because I think that was the safest way to (laughs) escape without, you know, fear of like in being in physical danger And my sister and I, we left letters and my sister wrote in her letter, she lived in so much fear of them, like more than I did because she had two more years in it. She was the oldest. So a lot of things fell on her. In her letter, she wrote, please don't send the cops after me. So so she was, you know, when she was 24, like you can't legally do that. But yeah, looking back, you know, years, eight years after this, I'm really glad we did it that way because cult leaders, they're very unpredictable people. There's no telling what dad would have done if he would have known his two oldest daughters were leaving. Yeah. Oh my, I I don't even, I really appreciate you sharing your story, where you're coming from. And you know, there's many others out there that have been affected by this and kind of look to your story and and those like you uh, for inspiration and proof that you can really turn around your life and you can get out of it. So really glad that you got out of it and changed up your life. Oh, thank you. Me too. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) And let's get to express writers, which sounds like a like brutally hard segue, but (laughs) you really started developing this business while you were growing up in that environment. Hmm. So at what point did it kind of clicked that, you know, this isn't just like I'm writing in my spare time. This is a real business and I have the opportunity to scale this. Yes. So I was in college for an RN degree and that was more, I think my parents were pushing me towards that direction because when I was like six years old, 
I told them I want to help people. And so they translated that as, you know, help people that are in physical pain and bandage them and be a nurse. And they had me read Florence Nightingale's life. So that was the path they thought was for me whenever I said help people. But I knew that I loved to write. And that was like the earliest um, memory I have is of filling journals with content. And they were my own stories. Like I just came up with all these stories that came from reading. And that was one good side effect of living in that environment, being homeschooled every day was the majority of the time we were reading. And I was reading um, Shakespeare's works, which are very difficult to read. I don't think I would ever pick yeah. that up on my own. I was reading that at eight years old, read the whole thing. Oh my and God. yeah. So. We, we had that assigned in high school. And I remember thinking it was the hardest thing ever. <laughs> so it kudos is. to your eight-year-old self. Yeah. Yes, it was crazy. But we learned so much vocabulary. And then whenever I moved into other books, I just had this love for reading. So that went hand in hand with writing. I read so much and wrote so much. So at 12 years old, I sat down one summer and wrote this book and it became this 200 page medieval fiction. And it was fairly historically accurate and I was so proud of it. So I knew I loved to write. And whenever I was going through nursing school, I was realizing, you know, I'm probably not gonna be good at this because like I would make a terrible nurse and I can see that happening. <laughs> I don't wanna be responsible for hurting people. And, uh, environment where you're supposed to be helping them. So I would have just not been a good nurse. So I was like, what do I really like to do? And how can I make money doing that? And I was asking that at 13 years old, 14, 15, and then again at college, when I was in college. So I decided I'm just going to Google how to make money writing. And I did. And this was 2011. And I discovered this whole market, you know, called freelance writing. But back then it was like, it was a mix of really keyword stuffed SEO content, um, landing pages that were for the purpose of kind of gaming Google. So you would just stuff a bunch of terms in it and write mediocre content, but the pay was terrible, right? Because the content wasn't that great either. So I was getting like two to $3 per article, but I was so excited because it was real money and I was right. making it without any training. <laughs> That's like two to 3000 times more what you were making before you started. Exactly. So I never regret that time because even though that was abysmal pay, it was how I learned to shape this skill set that I've now monetized in a much bigger way. So it was really natural. I just Google it. You know, I set a uh, profile up the same day I Googled it. And back then it's now called Upwork. Back then it was called um, Odesk and Elance. So I set up profiles there. I found my first clients. Um, I took the, all the quizzes and I was like in the top 2% of writers and my competition was a lot of offshore writers. So I think the knowledge of the language grasp wasn't all that great. So for me, it was pretty easy to get gigs because here I was an American. I knew the language. I didn't have a lot of competition. So I could pick up gigs much like the market was so different. And this is just, this is barely a decade ago. It's crazy how much freelance writing has changed and how different and the variety of people you can now hire versus back then. So uh, within a week, I was able to make like $100, $200. And then a month later, I was making that per day. So I was like, oh, I think this is a viable stream of income. But, you know, I was still in dad's house. So everything 
had this element of every time I was making money, it was like, it was being filtered away through my dad's church because my dad was like, okay, we need donations for the roof. How much can you give? Well, let's look at your bank account. Okay. It looks like you can give all of your money in savings. <laughs> so, as I was making money, I was going. So the next step though, as I was growing and learning that, okay, I can get hired. And then the clients that hired me were rehiring me and they were telling their friends. So I was getting all this work. So my next step was, why don't I just try to make a business? And it was really natural thought. I was just like, okay, let's make a business. And so I thought of the name Express Writers in five minutes. And then I just created a business profile on Odesk, which is now Upwork. And that was the start of the whole journey. And for the first two years, we existed on those freelance platforms. And I think we did like $90,000 on one um, platform for one year. And that was like our second year. So it was, it was really crazy. And it was just, you know, a lot of hard work staying up late, but I was really enjoying it because it was like, you know, this is writing. I love writing. So even though all the other things were so hard, like learning how to grow your business, learning how to build a website, all of that. It was easy to stick at it because I really love to write. I see why you say that writing really was a lifeline for you. You can hear it when you talk about it, like, how much you love it, how, how much of an outlet it was, and I'm sure still is for you. You thought of your name in a true-to-form express fashion, and you started getting clients and referrals. Obviously, your quality of work was outstanding if you, know, you have that much word of mouth off the bat. What were the next steps as far as really transitioning from freelancer on one of those freelancing sites to entrepreneur and you know, starting to put a team around you? You know, it's crazy looking back and I talk about this in my memoir, um, Woman Rising Part Two is a story of how I just like drummed up all of our growth through the years. So as I look back, it's like there was no moment where I was like, okay, I'm an entrepreneur now. <laughs> there was like no defining moment. It was just like everything happened so fast because I was just, you know, I would be at my desk sometimes 10 hours a day. And the month that I left, September 2012, that was about, I think, five months after I had incorporated Express Writers. And we were like bursting at the seams. It was getting so stressful. If I walked away to take a phone call, we would get fined in dad's house, like monetary fines. That was another way they got our money. So if I walked away to take this phone call, like too soon after dinner, you know, that was considered breaking the line. So there was just so many things that were making it really stressful. That was the right month to leave. It was, you know, it was all happening for a reason. So that month, that's whenever I met my current partner, who is also my husband. So he hired me to write for him and he had the perfect complementary skill set. So I needed, you know, somebody to do the tech, but I was really good at writing, really good at building a team, looking for talented people. And that was like the core element, even today, like nine years later, that's still probably the main reason why our team is so great because we just look for that core skill set. Like you have to love writing, you have to be good at it. And then from there, everything can be taught, trained, you can grow. So 
that was my goal at the beginning, just to grow a team around me that really loved to write. And together we were going to write the best content. And I wrote that out on, you know, our five page website that we launched and I had somebody code it, I think for $90 and it was really crummy looking. <laughs> that was our first website in 2012. But so I met Josh, my partner, and he's now our CTO we got married three months after leaving and meeting him was a huge part of my journey back to healing. He was like the first person in my life by my side that didn't speak like things that were completely negative. So being with a positive person, you know, I escaped, I went straight to him and three months later we were married and he, like, he couldn't be more the opposite of how I grew up just like unconditional. You can do what you want. You're good at it. Speaking that into my life. So if I didn't have that, you know, I don't know where I would be because growing up in that environment and that's all you hear that can really get you down after a while. Cause that's all you hear in your own head and it messes you up. But yeah, since 2012, you know, we've grown so much. We have 90 people. We've done over 30,000 content projects and I think we've served like, I think it's around 5,000 clients. So, you know, I had no idea that would happen at the beginning. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to start this business, see if it lasts a year. Yeah, but, maybe, maybe we'll pick up, we'll have a couple clients one day. Right. Exactly. I mean, that's what you think at the beginning. Exactly. And we took a risk and a gamble and it worked. <laughs> it certainly did. And it certainly is. Well, congrats on, on all of that. I mean, it, it just must be crazy to think about starting to do this at home and then how much your team has grown, how many projects that you've worked on, like how many people who you've helped, which really like when you talk back to, you know, growing up and wanting to help people, like you really are, you created a business that is truly helping everybody you work with. So that's really, really cool. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. And I like your approach of when you're hiring Focusing on those core competencies, those core skills of loving writing and being good at it. How do you evaluate talent? Like, how do you know who would be a great addition to the team and kind of like put those two elements to a test? That is a really good question. What we've found for the years is, um, you know, we've tried so many different things. We've done all the processes you can think of to vet people. And what we found is that if we strip everything away, like at this point, we don't read resumes. We don't look at your experience. We don't like, we don't even check out your LinkedIn profile or anything. All we want to know is what would you do if you had this client brief and the client brief is like, write a blog on, you know, how to take care of your pet and maybe groom them with this specific grooming tool. So that's all we give them. Like, what would you do with this brief? And we watch what they do and we read what they send back really carefully. And if we see like a lot of research done, some creative thoughts in there that you normally wouldn't read in a blog, if you Googled that topic, that immediately says talent to us because that like, that's hard to find. Most people, that are wanting a job, I hate to say, you know, they just go through the process and they don't really put their heart in it. But that shows us that they have talent and commitment. If we see like some true creativity in that brief when it comes back to us. So that's been our core method of how we test and look for people. We don't even get on the phone. And in the past, when we did get on the phone with them, there were so many 
good things that people would say. And so we would hire them on the spot. You're like, you're speaking our language. This is exactly what we want to hear. And then once they were hired, like none of that language came through. So that was one reason we took away phone interviews. It's really hard, especially today. It's really hard to find someone with that raw talent. That is like a needle in a haystack, but that's all you need to shape someone who will be an amazing writer for your clients who will be an amazing member of your team. All of us, we kind of work and act like a family. So we all have each other's backs and that's really important. Like you can't just be looking out for yourself. You can't just, you know, kind of half-ass it and <laughs> go through the motions and send in whatever. You really have to continually work hard and all of our team members do that. But, you know, refining a team like that, it takes a lot of time. And nine years later, there is no secret to it. It's just going through candidates and sending them this brief, seeing what they do, and then telling them like, here's how we would edit that, refine it. If we see someone who has potential, but maybe they don't know how to structure a headline, for example, you know, we'll still take a gamble on that person if we see that creativity, original thought. And that is hard. It's crazy how hard that is, but it's just a process of time and going through candidates every month. And nine years later, like there's no way to automate it. And they were saying five years ago, they were saying that this industry of content, some pretty um, well-known thought leaders, they were saying this will be completely automated by 2020. That was the thought like five years ago. <laughs> and it so couldn't fast. be further from the truth. Like we have so much business and the business we get is from clients looking for something unique and they're really picky because they want to stand out and it's hard to stand out. You need to create something that is so unique. So I think it's gotten, you know, even more important that we have the human elements of writing and there is no automation that can replace that. There, there just isn't like, I'd like to see it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I've seen a lot. I've tested so many tools and it's just like regurgitated nonsense, all of them, even the expensive ones. It seems like more and more is capable with automation as far as like, you'll see some things and you'll be like, wait a second, that a person didn't create that firsthand. But I think writing and creative thinking and kind of like things that are more abstract in that nature, humans can never be replaced in that realm because like so much value and creativity and inspiration like comes from people, from people writing, putting pen to paper, putting fingers to keyboard, whatever the, the modern way of saying that is. But like, it's, it's just really crazy to think about. I really like your hiring process because so many companies, I feel like it can sometimes take like seven to eight rounds of interviews to like get a full-time job somewhere. And when it comes down to it, like as the hiring party, what's most important for your business Obviously, you need to make sure that like, you know, both sides are happy and it's like a good fit overall, but their core skills are what is most important to like the service that you offer as a business. And it seems like you are so straight and to the point with that. And that has to be incredibly efficient. And it's like, no wonder that, you know, you've built this team of 90 people around the world as opposed to kind of being stuck and not being able to grow. Mm, yes. I mean, you put it like that. It's so true. And we just, we're really quick to adapt. And it's funny because um, the people that haven't been our core team members and kind of fell away for the years, 
you know, they would judge me for that. They were like, you need to spend more time on the phone. You need to get to know these people. I'm like, well, you know, isn't that a waste of time if they're not going to end up being a good fit on both sides? In the end, like, we don't want to waste time. And if you read um, the founder of Basecamp, which is like a oh, an eight-figure-a-year company, I think, he has this book called Rework, and it's so good. It's, you know, it's talking about this type of concept, like strip away the things that are a complete waste of time, including meetings, which it's funny this year, our manager, she had to stay home. Well, she's always stayed home, but she had to teach four kids at home that kind of fell on top of her full-time job for us. So we were like, you know, how can we make your job easier? What can we do? And she was like, can we cut the weekly meetings? And I was like, you got it. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. That's an easy time saver right there. Right. It was a no brainer. So we just talk on Slack every day and message back and forth. And if there's something that we need more clarity on, you know, we hop on a call because that can't be replaced. But we just learned through the years, if you can strip away all the things that aren't productive elements, aren't efficient, even though it could be looked at as a loss of culture, a loss of, you know, some type of feeling in the team in the end, like the people that really care about doing their job well, they will appreciate that because you just made their job easier. Like they don't have to show up to 15 other people. They don't have to sit through something that is unnecessary. And it's kind of wild because, you know, we definitely have people that are like, why don't you do that? I really need it. Like, well, the majority of the team doesn't want it. So we're not going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all for stripping away. And I I know that sounds funny, but stripping away (laughs) to be more efficient to optimize, just, just to be more productive overall. And I'm just going to, I'm going to keyword stuff this sentence, I guess, but it really is, it makes such a big difference. And sometimes like you hear it more and more, like that hour meeting could be, you know, a meeting that's less than half an hour, like that half an hour meeting doesn't need to be a meeting. It could be one email or one Slack message back and forth. Like there's so many ways to, to speed that up. Growing your team has been such an effective way for you to scale besides the personnel aspect When you look back, how else have you been able to expand and scale your business? That is a good question. Um, I was just speaking about this at Constant Marketing World um, 2020, which went virtual. So I wasn't in person. Shout out CM World, Joe Polizzi. Yeah. Big Joe P fan. Oh, man. Yeah, it's funny. I wasn't going to speak till I've been going to CM World for uh, four years. And two years ago, he's like, the first thing he says to me when I see him in the expo hall, are you speaking yet? And I'm like, Joe, I don't like to speak. And he's like, think of speaking as writing. And then he just walks away. <laughs> and I was like, Ooh, that's so good. That's so awesome. I was like, okay. If Joe Polizzi said that I should. Yeah. So I spoke oh. last year. We had a packed room. I had a co-presenter and it was crazy. People were showing up 20 minutes early with my book from the bookstore. Like oh talk God. about, you know, feeling good about what you do. Yeah. That was amazing. But yeah, so your question, you know, what else have we done to grow? So I was talking about some points at SEMworld this year. And I think like, it's so important to remember your evergreen, most important focuses, which are so easy to get lost in a world where we have so much data, we have so many analytics at our fingertips, we can be kind of lost in that world. But if we take a step back, and we look at our fundamentals, and we just kind of stay there, So for example, the customer experience, how does that look? Is your website slow? Is it fast? Like simple things that kind of get overlooked. And that's kind of where we've lived. So 
you know, every like two or three years into our growth journey, we would launch a new version of our website. And it was based on customer feedback. Like this doesn't make sense. Or, you know, I don't know how to get to the contact page from your homepage, like really simple things. But we would take all of that feedback into consideration and create a better website. And all of this was done without funding. So, you know, it was done through our CTO, which is my partner, which is awesome because like we're usually in the same room. So I can be like, right. hey, Josh, will you fix this, please? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and he'll do it on the spot. So really blessed to have that. Um, so he builds the website, he manages developers and does all the tech. And that's been a big focus for us. So we've poured money that comes straight from our profits back into the customer experience. And that can look as simple as, um, for example, we went through about 10 phone apps. So our customers really like to speak on the phone and that can't be replaced. We found by live chat, email, they're kind of, we have a lot of old school clients. They're like, okay, I really need to get on a phone call with you. So we do that. And we've been through these 10 VOIP apps because the majority of them have these really poor connectivity issues. But I can't imagine, you know, if we stayed on one because we weren't going through the feedback phase and saying, okay, let's try this new tool. Let's try this new one. And as much as that can be interruptive to your day, because, you know, you have to go test a new tool, like really I'm on my 10th tool, <laughs> but those kind of growth pains are so necessary to growing a better, stronger team. And then like showing your clients that you care enough about them to invest back into everything you're doing, whether it's as simple as finding a better phone app or as massive as launching a brand new website that gives them a better experience. So we kind of, as crazy to, as it is, and I'm a content marketer, so most content marketers live in the metrics, but that's not where I live. We live in the place where I will go look at our website like every Monday and say, does it make sense? Are there any broken CPAs? You know, is our menu set up to where it makes sense? And clarity over cleverness is always key, especially in a service-based business. So like, you don't want to name your contact page in the menu. You don't want to name it something cool. <laughs> you want to name it, contact us. Like we've learned that through trial and error. We tried to name it something cool. And then people are like, where's the contact page on Drift on our chat? <laughs> so we've just tried to live in a place of how do we give our customers the best experience? And then the flip side of that, like the underbelly, if, if you think of like an iceberg, what's under the tip of the iceberg is serving your team just as well too. So we've created systems for our team um, that just launched actually this October. We built a whole new team room for them. So that was massive work and that was hundreds of thousands of dollars that we dumped back into development. So all of that has been our primary focus instead of like, oh, let's look at our bounce rate and let's try to tweak some things and lower the bounce rate. I mean, all of that's good. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but you also have to take a step back and say, is this even working? You know, are my CPAs clear? Is the customer getting served in the best way possible? Do our team have the best tools or should we invest in better ones? So that's kind of where we live and our clients really appreciate that. It's definitely really worked. I appreciate you taking us through it and, and detailing it as well. I think that the theme that keeps coming up is focus. And no matter like how crazy the growth is and how, you know, like everything going on, whether it's professional or personal, I think 
a theme that you see so often in successful businesses is focus. And I, I think it was Tim Ferriss. I was listening to a podcast where the host was saying, you know, in all like the world's top, most amazing, inspiring out of these world, out of this world, entrepreneurs and all that I've talked to the number one theme of like, whether you make it or not is focus. So your ability to deploy that as a business owner is totally crucial to your business paying off and, and seeing some results there. Hmm. Yes, I completely agree. And it's weird looking back, you know, I think growing up in that environment has definitely helped shape my focus because I learned what was really important. And just like we were talking about writing was a lifeline. You know, I've still kind of have that mentality. So I'm really good at like picking out lifelines <laughs> to a point where, you know, <laughs> I'll be up way too late if something's not working going, I have to fix this lifeline. It's a little broken. <laughs> I think you're, you're like a, a lifeguard or a EMC in like another life, I think, with all the lifelines there. Oh, that's so true. That is a really good analogy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, I charge 50 bucks for analogy. Hey, here's another analogy for you. $50. Exactly. Well, think of me like the Instapot of podcasting. I'll save you time and deliver a high quality podcast. Email me at max at maxpodcasting.com. Now, back to the real McCoy, Julia, on uh, how she goes about writing and all the things she does. So let's switch gears a little bit and really stay on that same gear. So that was a bit of a pump fake, but let's get to inspiration and creativity. For you, since we've talked a lot so far about kind of working on the business and being a business owner and growing it that way, I want to dive more into the the in the business for this. So I want to talk about creative writing and would love to know what tips do you have on creative writing? Yes. Love this topic. Um, you know, I would say, especially for people that are just getting started, like let's talk a little bit to people that are the beginning of the journey. Like maybe there's not much content writing experience and they're looking to get started um, maybe make this a side hobby or, you know, make it a full-time job, but you easily can. It's so important to begin to read. And what I would recommend, and this is what Joe Polizzi actually recommends, who's one of, you know, the top content marketers. And he still writes this email newsletter, even though he's left um, CMI, sold it a couple of years ago. Oh, uh, the random newsletter, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love it. Yeah. Fellow fan of that just for alliteration, so but good. yeah. Yeah. So like sign up to that newsletter and then another really good expert is Anne Hanley. She does. <laughs> I knew you were going to say, I knew you are going to say <laughs> Anne right now. Those are like the two examples. I always, we're, we're clearly on the same wavelength here. Yes, definitely. Those two are go-tos. If you, especially Anne's writing if you study the way she puts things she's really good at just clever writing and it's interesting because those two are at the top of what they do like they are really well known and it seems like the core skill set they have in common is really great writing and they've continued to shape that with multiple books you know they've written multiple blogs they write continue to write this newsletter um, reading though if you go a step back that can help shape your knowledge of vocabulary because to write clever content, you have to know the clever words and how to put them together. So what I recommend is studying the bestsellers in fiction. 
And that's where you're going to see some truly like creative words. Some of the books that I've been reading lately, um, Gregory Maguire, he wrote, um, he wrote the basis of the Broadway play, uh, the witch with green. <laughs> I'm oh, a good writer, but I'm terrible at like remembering the names of things. <laughs> <laughs> wicked. Wicked. That's it. Good thing you do. <laughs> I like that. The witch is like the alter ego for it. It's, it's more blunt of like, Hey, this is about a witch. <laughs> so his book, which the Broadway play is based on is like, it'll blow your mind with just one sentence of how he writes. And it's funny because he is this older guy. You would not expect to have this kind of a grasp on vocabulary. But if you read it, like I have highlighted one sentence and just stayed there. Like I've reread it. I've come back to it the next day. If you let that kind of really creative vocabulary sink into your subconscious, like especially writers, are good at this just naturally. If you let that sink in, what that does is you're going to remember that it's going to come back to the surface as you write content. So that is a really good way to shape those like iceberg skills that you don't see that you have to draw on to write great content. You can't just clever content doesn't write itself. You can't really sit down and write it unless you have that like bank of good content memory and that you can best glean that from the top selling fiction books and just you can even if you're not going to read wicked which is like a giant book it's it's so big i had no idea that you know this broadway play is based on a book this massive you can go to amazon and look at top sellers in fiction and really just pick any that strike your fancy and start reading and you'll start to notice you know the way words are put together and then there's another really good book that I've been reading recently. Um, it's called All the Pretty Horses by Cormac McCarthy. And that was written years ago. I think it was written actually a year after I was born. <laughs> so it's not very new. But so if you go back in time, even, you can see really interesting ways to write things. And one thing Cormac is really good at is describing something in a way that's totally, you've never heard it before. So for example, the way he describes someone's head is brain box. Like I've never heard that before. That's really creative. Yeah. So that, that reading those kinds of books gives you such a different perspective and it gives you a way to see words in a new way. So you're going to, the more you read, the more you can have this bank that you kind of just draw on as a writer. And then next to reading, it's just writing, practicing, you know, shaping that skill. That's really where it comes from is a lot of doing. Um, so, you know, make a habit of writing like 10 minutes a day, even if that's all you can do. Or if you just write one tweet or a social media post from scratch, you know, that is definitely some of the best ways to learn is just through doing. You're making my brain box super fascinated. I need to check those out. They sound really, really cool reading is clearly such an important thing. Like it makes sense. And I use this analogy in the podcasting world. Like if you want to be a better podcast host, listen to more podcasts, the top hosts out there, just by listening, you're going to soak up some tips on, on how to navigate the interview and the dynamic with the guest and everything. But in the writing world, it's like, read more. It's a pretty straightforward, <laughs> focused answer there in order to to learn more and, and see what works. And I like how you focus on the fiction world, even if what you're writing is more nonfiction or business speak, having that 
intake of stuff in the fiction world definitely helps from a creativity standpoint. And also on the creativity note, how do you like to spend your time outside of work? Like maybe it's when you're with your family or just hobbies in your free time. What do you do to kind of mix it up so you're not constantly reading, writing and and leading your team? We have this thread on Slack off topic where I get to see my team's hobbies and it just, it reminds me how much I love writing because usually when they are like painting, you know, doing something creative, that's not, doesn't have anything to do with writing. I'm usually writing. <laughs> it <laughs> reminds me how much I love what I do, which I think is so critical. If you really want to do well in your industry, become known, all that good stuff, you really have to love it in order to do it, you know, almost a decade. But outside of writing and reading, what I really love is nature and just getting immersed outside. And we recently moved, we were talking about this earlier from Round Rock to Georgetown. And one reason is, you know, we wanted more land, more space. And we were really fortunate to be able to get this house that sits on five acres and it overlooks the lake in Georgetown here. So we have land, we have acreage and we added chickens. Um, the second month we moved in. So it's funny. It's like, I say now my new hobby is just hanging out with the chickens. <laughs> They're so <laughs> much fun to watch. And the chickens we have, we raised them since they were three days old. So they're like, they're very much like house pets. They like being inside. They like being held. And it's, it's so funny, but it's such a nice break in the middle of the day to go out there and just play with the chickens. <laughs> so that's definitely become one of my new hobbies. Yeah, I, I got to imagine that being like totally entrenched in a, a work project and then 10 seconds later be playing with chickens has to be such a like a, a totally different change of pace that it's, it's got to be great for your or great for your brain box there <laughs> so let's get to a fan favorite segment called the wild business shout out of the week the wild business shout out of the week oh cool yeah thank you so very cool me. you have me crying wild business <laughs> shout out of the week this is where we talk about a creative marketing campaign or approach that caught our attention and if you ever used poopery then you know that it can be life-changing but there's something about poopery's marketing and, and their approach to writing and copywriting that really really caught your attention you mind sharing a little bit about that Yes. I think I came across Poopery maybe five or six years ago. And it was whenever I was writing my first book. So they actually made it in my book. And I got their marketing director on our Twitter chat. Um, so, you know, I was just, I kind of fell in love with this brand. And the reason why was the copy. So they have really leaned into their product. And of course, you know, there's many jokes you can make about a product that has to do with poop, right? So they're in a good niche to begin with for that, but they really lean into it. And you don't see this in a lot of brands. Like there's a lot of niches. There's a lot of creative ways to say things, to spin things. And it takes um, a special brand to really celebrate that and go all the way with creativity. So for example, if you just go to Poopery's homepage, you'll start to see what I mean by the copy. And it's so creative how they've done, you know, all of it and their marketing director and um, their CEO actually has written some of this copy. So it's been like their team that has done it all. They haven't, you know, they haven't gotten too much outside 
um, talent, which is kind of cool. They've relied on their own team to do this. So it's like, you know, if you look at, they have like three steps on how to use their product and it's like, proceed to drop coal as usual, leave the porcelain <laughs> sleigh smelling better than you found it. And then they have a list of their best sellers, but they call it best smellers. And it's just like everything you see as you scroll down, it's so creative. So they're, even their chat box headline is like, what's the poop or something? <laughs> it's so funny what they do. And it's really, it pulls in their target audience so well. Right. Which, which is crazy to think about because, you know, theoretically everybody has a need for their product, <laughs> but right. <laughs> first time I discovered it was, uh, the house I moved to with a few buddies uh, when I was living in Stanford, Connecticut, and I had, hadn't heard of it before, but then I used, we'll spare the details, but after using it, I was like, whoa, this is life-changing. But <laughs> on the brand side, I'm a huge sucker for puns. So like mm, they're all about yeah. puns and like just a little, like a little bit of wittiness that makes it that much more delightful to use. And like they're I mean, you mentioned like it's on the packaging, it's on their website. It is everywhere through and through. So like they've built such a strong brand in such a unique but commonly usable space. <laughs> and I want to shout out, I follow her on social media and she's just like an incredible entrepreneur and, and creative person. Um, their founder, Susie Batiz, who's their C CEO as well. And she is, if you're exposed to her posts for just once or twice, it's like, wow, like this person is a super creative thinker and kind of like on another level as far, like it's no wonder, you know, she and team were responsible for building such a, a breakthrough business like this. Mm, yes. I mean, it takes a special person to come up with something and then maintain it and see it through. So you have to kind of be a genius of source to launch this kind of a brand. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or also don't want to poo poo anything. Right. <laughs> let's get to a segment called the unusual so that poopery example is actually a perfect lead into this but pet peeves quirks and weird talents what is your biggest pet peeve bad content and i'm kind of known for spotting it anywhere so you know it'll really annoy my husband he'll be driving and i'll be like Oh, there's a billboard. Let me read it. Oh, terrible copy. Here's the 10 ways they could have rewritten that. You know, that's all I talk about for 10 I mean, that, minutes. That sounds like a blog post already. <laughs> I actually have one outline of like the worst billboards I've seen and the 10 ways, you know, they could have written better copy. And it's funny because when you have this small space, you really have an opportunity to like land this really good whatever it is, like a wordplay, a pun, like use those things. But companies don't, they don't do what Poopery is doing. They don't embrace creativity and cleverness. And they're just, a lot of them stay in the stagnant lane because, you know, I, I guess it's safe to them. But to me, that's more of a risk because <laughs> you're not going to stand out. But yeah, that would have to be my pet peeve. That when there's content, it's just not put in a way that's either um, not clear. So unclear copy is a big pet peeve. Like, oh man, you could have made your website CTA button so much clearer. How do I get to the services page <laughs> or copy that could have been written so much better and more time and thought put into it? We have so much opportunity to not be boring. And yet so many companies end up being boring. Yeah. And it's just a shame. 
how about weird talents? What's something, something that you're just super talented at? Like it could be around the house. It could be a mind trick or party trick, something like that. Mm, okay. I have a pretty, pretty good one. I think you can tell me, but um, so I play the harp. I learned at 12 years old. We oh, had to pick an terrible. instrument. So <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's, I've never met anybody that plays a harp before. That's awesome. That's amazing. You need a, you need a partnership. I think uh, Guinness or harp with their harp logo. I think it's like, you could be like the spokesperson for it. So Oh, that'd be cool. That really would. Yeah, my 22 string Celtic harp is upstairs. And it's definitely a way to like just detach from me is I'll pick it up and play it. And I've had people over played it for them. And it's funny, I'll start playing and I'll look over. And recently, the last person that was present when I was playing my harp, I look over and she's like falling asleep. And this was two minutes after I started playing. And then she told me afterwards, she's like, you know, I never realized a harp in person sounds like that like the sound is really relaxing when you hear the strings in person there's just there's kind of nothing like it so yeah that would be my hidden talent <laughs> you could license out your hidden talent to be either alarm clocks or like uh, or reverse alarm clocks like to help people fall asleep you know oh that's a great idea that's amazing talent well congrats i you're probably one of like three harpists in the world no i'm, I'm i know there's many more but <laughs> it's a very unique skill and I'm sure it takes a while to learn. So thanks. And then quirks. What is something about your personality that maybe someone in your family calls you out for, or somebody on your team calls you out for that's just a little bit quirky, but you know, it's part of your personality. It's who you are. Yes. Well, I have a pretty good one. I mean, you can be around me for maybe 10, 15 minutes and you'll probably spot it. Um, my husband calls me out all the time on it. Um, I think it, actually came out earlier in your podcast but i forget the names of things so i have to go describe it <laughs> i wasn't gonna say anything <laughs> right and then i'm like really bad at describing it so for example i couldn't remember the name of bruce willis the other day and i was like it's one of the bald guys that does really good movies and nobody knew like nobody stay them <laughs> <laughs> right that was the go-to and i was like no it's another bald guy the rock no it's another bald guy <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have like no better. You're way thinking to of Stone it. Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Happens to me on this podcast as well. Probably more often, just in person, real life. But like, I'll have a story I'm really excited to tell, and then I totally blank on this. It's just a train wreck of a story, and so it's like, <laughs> been there. But as long as you give enough context clues, you know, people are in. <laughs> people hang in there. Right. It's true. It's funny because you would think like as a writer, I would have that nailed down, but nope, I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> but let's wrap up with some rapid fire Q&A. You ready for it? Let's go. All right. Let's get wild. You used to live in Round Rock, Texas. Have you ever had the Texas sized donut from Round Rock Donuts? Yes. And it was very, very sugary, but very delicious. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And I saw Round Rock in your background and I was like, oh my God, why do I know? I'm like, oh wait, I've been to Round Rock. We did a family trip in Texas one year, went around to you know all the main cities and we had seen Round Rock Donuts on either the Travel Channel or Food Network on some show. And of course, like you can't drive you know, within like a 50 mile radius of a donut shop that has a donut that's 10 times the size of a normal one. I'm not sure. And not yes, try it. It's true. I had to ask about that. It's amazing. Actually, real quick aside on that. And this isn't Round Rock's fault, but one night we were staying at like a pretty cheap hotel one night. And then we went to the Cowboys game the next day. And 
a bunch of ants got to the leftover parts of the donut. Oh no. And like, and think of that. I mean, if you're an ant, that's like, you know, your Super Bowl. Like you hit gold on that. But like we unfortunately did not get to have the leftovers because the ants kind of like made it their own. But I, oh. <laughs> I always think back to that. But all that aside, it was a fantastic donut. And if you're in the area, you got to try it. And you just don't see a donut that size up. I guess Texas is the place for it. Right. <laughs> what tip do you have for playing the harp? Because as like an outsider, it seems extremely intricate. Yes, I would say just make your hands an extension of the strings and don't think too much about like, is my hand in the right placement or, you know, am I supposed to point my thumb down? Because there's lots of rules there. But for me, someone that learned how to play by ear, um, just listening to music and then picking up the notes and really not thinking about my hands and just letting it do its own thing, that definitely shaped natural talent and helped me. So it's okay to break the rules a little bit. <laughs> All right, you have me ready to break out my harp. <laughs> you started your career, maybe after you started writing, but you spent some time working at McDonald's. What is something you learned while working at McDonald's? Do not eat their food. Whenever you have to clean the grill, the things you see that you wish you could unsee. <laughs> yeah, so don't eat their food. <laughs> All right, well, there, there goes our uh, sponsorship, big ad money there. Sorry. But oh, boy. <laughs> it's, it, it's okay. Uh <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, Julia, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you sharing your story, your incredible journey and, you know, the good times, the tough times and just all the inspiring lessons you have to share. Where's the best place for people to reach you? Thank you. Well, this has been really great. I love your podcast. Um, the name you. of it really fits me. So <laughs> yeah, right yeah. on. Yes, all about that. Um, so you can find me on Twitter, Julia E. McCoy, on YouTube, Julia McCoy, um, Instagram. My handle is Fem Entrepreneur. Those are kind of the three platforms that are my go-to. Um, Twitter, yeah, Instagram, YouTube, and then you can find my websites. Contenthacker.com is a collection of all my trainings, um, what I do on the educational space in content marketing, and then ExpressWriters.com is our writing agency where we do done-for-you SEO content. So I think that sums it up. And then you can find my books on Amazon if you just type in Julia McCoy. Perfect. And last thing here, final thoughts. It could be a quote, a line, whatever you want. Send us off here. Oh, love that. Okay. The final thought, I would say um, a good wrap up to our topic would be never to stop going after your dreams. I think that's like one of the big factors I see in the entrepreneurial space, people I talk to that want to start, they have a passion, they have a skill set, you know, but that risk, that risk of stepping out there, is it worth it? It totally is worth it. You should do it all the way. Keep seeing it through, work hard every day. <laughs> Never give up, even when the times get really hard, because they will. And, you know, you could be a sensation, you could be a big success. Whew. All right. Thank you, Julia, for your sensational story, sharing your amazing insights, lessons, tales. And thank you, Wild listeners, for tuning in to another episode. If you want to hear more wild stories like this one, make sure to subscribe to the Wild Business Growth Podcast on your favorite app and check us out on Good Pods. You can also tell a friend about the podcast and you can learn more about podcast production at maxpodcasting.com. Until next time, let your business Run wild. Bring on the bongos! <laughs> <laughs>